0: So I think it was a year or two ago, Suzanne and I took our boys to Washington, D.C. to see our friends, the Stuarts and the new church they're planting and see the great sites of D.C. And one of the new sites there is called the Bible Museum, which is really a very interesting thing. It gives you history about the Bible and some... Um, experiences that are especially useful and, and, and helpful for children to go through. So we found that day to be just a really memorable, meaningful day. But one moment in particular what <laughs> came to my mind when I was thinking about this coronavirus situation that we're in. It had to do with this ride that they have created, which is a fly-through of DC, where you're watching an iMag, but you're not sitting in a chair. You're standing on a floor that's going to move on you. And they say, you're going to hold this rail. And if you have heart issues or dizziness issues, you may not want to do this ride, but we calculated we can do it. So we go in, we get our positions, we're hanging on. The movie starts. And you're flying through Washington, D.C. and zooming into all of these places in the Capitol, the Washington Monument, where all these scripture references are embedded. It's really very interesting. But... The thing about it is, it, it it feels like you're really flying. Like in one of those planes where it's open air because they're blowing wind in your face as, as you're going and they're moving the floor and it's jostling and then you're leaning forward and then you're leaning backwards. And my boys just thought it was fantastic. But I'll tell you, after about three minutes, I was plenty happy when it ended, when they turned on the lights, when things settled down and they opened the door and said, you can exit to your right because I was feeling a little bit nauseous by the end of the ride. And I was thinking to myself in a very real way, I think that's a little bit how a lot of us are feeling right now. It's a bit topsy-turvy and and everybody likes a roller coaster here and there, right? But you kind of want it to come to an end after about three minutes and you get off and your pull slows down and you re, uh, uh, consider if you want to ride it a second time or not. The challenge with the current situation is we're just on the ride. And it just keeps going. And that can make us feel helpless. It can make us feel frustrated. It can make us feel, feel irritated, fearful, anxious, depressed, all sorts of you know emotions like this. So I was praying and I was saying, Lord, what is a good scene from your word where people were feeling similar things? And just like that, he took my mind to the Last Supper. Right there before he goes to the cross, you remember the, the, the night uh, before he would be crucified, he's gonna have the, the Passover meal with his disciples. And all four gospel writers give it to us. Each of them leans into a different detail or two, but they all give us generally the same big part of the story. You can read about it in Matthew 26. You could read about it in Mark 14, Luke 22, John 14. They all, like I said, cover the same essentials, but they each put their little spin of things that, that really they wanted to make sure that we knew had happened. One thing's for sure. Everybody who was at the Last Supper that night knew This is a different Passover than we've had in the previous years because they've come in. Jesus has washed their feet. He's said, I desire to eat this meal with you before I suffer. They're like, what are you going to suffer? What what are you talking about here? And while they're eating, he even says, and one of you is going to betray me. And they're like... Who is it? Is it me? which who, who's gonna be the betrayer? you know so they're like something feels a little bit discombobulating here. This doesn't feel quite right. It was just clear enough to all of those disciples it would have been very concerning, but vague enough to be confusing and even fear arousing, which I think is a lot like how many of us are feeling right now. We're like, It's clear enough, I mean, I know it's a real thing. I know you're supposed to wash your hand for 20 seconds and do it all the time. practice social distancing and we're supposed to really watch out for our grandparents or in my instance, uh, my, my parents, people in their seventies or in the eighties because they're more susceptible and that you shouldn't wear masks unless you're prone to be a sneezer and you sneeze and cough all over people, then you probably should wear a mask so that you won't do that on people, especially if you have coronavirus. And so it's, it's clear enough that we kind of know some general parameters, but it's, Still confusing. It's like, how long is this ride going to go on before it kind of settles down and we feel like we're on stable ground again? So let's look at the last supper for just a few minutes. And I just want to pull out four observations. So if you're a person who likes to jot down notes, here's the first observation that I make. Jesus wasn't knocked off his chair by anything that was happening. He wasn't caught off guard by what was happening. He'd seen it coming. He had known this is the purpose for which I have come into this world. He'd known it for years. And right up to the present time, he'd even planned it. You remember several of the gospel writers say that the disciples came to Jesus and said, now where are we gonna celebrate the Passover? And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into town and you're gonna find this certain man and and you're gonna tell him the teacher says, my appointed time is here, my appointed time. Jesus knew what was going on. They didn't know what they were saying, but I'm gonna celebrate the Passover now with my disciples and I'm gonna do it at your house. So the disciples did. Uh, just that. And so Jesus had been preparing this the whole time. It wasn't catching him off guard. It wasn't shocking him. It wasn't bigger than he could handle. And I think that's important for us to remember when we come to this coronavirus thing. Because it can feel sudden and abrupt and out of control, but we have to remember, wait, wait, wait. Our God is bigger than this. He stands outside time and history. This isn't knocking him off his chair. Or his throne I've told you the story before of of um, several years ago when I was um, driving along with one of my sons and in particular it was just that day he connected the dots to what I did like what my job was and he's connecting it he's like so you were the first person who ever came to faithbridge I. I was and he said so does that mean that you're the boss? And I said, well, I guess you could say so. We don't really use that terminology in church world, but, but yeah. He's like, so my dad is the boss of Faith Bridge. And I chuckled and I said, it's something like that. So we drove on. I didn't think about that story until about a month later. And I'm driving that same son on Wednesday night. To his midweek Bible study. We have these Bible studies for youth that hundreds of kids go to. It's awesome. They're called Curious Groups. And I'm driving him up to to the Curious Group. And we get about halfway there that Wednesday night. And all of a sudden, he just blurts out, oh, no. And I'm like, what, son? He said, I forgot my Bible. And you got to bring your Bible to the Curious Group. I'm like, well, that's no big deal. This is not knocking me off my throne. We can just turn around and we'll go back and we'll get the Bible." and we'll get you there on time. He's like, no, Dad, but that's a bad idea. Why is it a bad idea? It's a bad idea, Dad, because we get open gym from 6.30 to 7.00. We can shoot baskets, but at 7.00, we have to put the basketballs up, and that's when the Bible study starts. And if I don't get there till 7.03, which is about what it'll be if we turn around right now, then I won't get to shoot and get baskets. Oh, Dad, why did I do this? Why did I forget my Bible? I mean, he's, he's really falling apart. And I'm remembering this conversation that we had about a month ago. I'm thinking, wait a second, you remember what my job is? I'm driving you to the one little place, the one little piece of real estate in the whole wide world where I have a little influence. I even have an office there. In that office, I even have a shelf with Bibles. I bet I have about 20 Bibles, I'm thinking to myself. I can just take you there and spot you a Bible. That is not too hard for me. That's what I'm thinking. But I thought, isn't that interesting? Here I am sitting just two, three feet away from him and he totally lost perspective about that. And it occurs to me in a very real way that you and I are prone to do that as well. When something like coronavirus or the economy, right now the stock market's up and down, 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 you know, and, and it's it, it, any of us can do, oh my gosh, what's going on? And is anybody holding the wheel? And we fail to remember, wait, 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 wait. The father is right here. This isn't shocking him. He's known that this was coming. And he's promised to go, with us through it, right? And so I think that that's uh, one important thing that we can draw straight from these accounts of the Lord's Supper. That Jesus, he'd seen it coming. He knew this day was coming. He knew this meal was coming. And all that was gonna happen, he, he had it under control. It wasn't knocking him out of control, even though it felt like it to the disciples, right? I'll tell you a second thing I noticed. Jesus was the servant to those disciples. He wasn't focused on himself. If I had been Jesus, I probably would have been focused on myself. We know that he does have a moment when they get out to the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and, and, and he's saying to the father, you know, father, if there is any way this cup could pass from me, I'd really like for us to think that way up right now so that the sins of the world could be forgiven and people could be saved other than the way that we've got it planned for what's getting ready to happen. I mean, he does have that moment, but he doesn't have that moment when he's with the disciples. He's focused On the disciples. He's serving them. And as I was pondering that, I was thinking, you know, throughout Christian history for 2,000 years, we believers have always been at our best when we don't get so consumed in the moment, so drawn into the moment that we lose our bearing, that we lose our perspective, that we start Taking on the mentality of the herd. You know, the mentality of the herd, that's the stampede mentality, where all the horses or all the other animals, they just start running. Nobody knows why they're running. They're just running. They're just running and running and running. They, they'll even run off a cliff and all kill themselves. And Christians have always been at our best, we believers, when we say, wait, I serve. A Lord that's bigger and stronger and greater than all. I don't have to do this stampede mentality. In fact, you go back in church history to where uh, the cru- uh, where, where the uh, the plagues were being spread uh, throughout the Roman world, and the interesting thing is, history tells us this is not biblical history. This is just secular history. History tells us that. Th- There was a stampede, there was a herd mentality. People are fleeing from the cities to get away. But the intriguing thing is what the Christians did. Do you remember what the believers did? They went running into the city to care for the infirmed, to care for the sick, to give them the resources and the, the nurture that they needed. And this is part of what changed the world and... Ultimately, is a big part of why we're even here today standing on the shoulders of saints who've gone before us with big faith in a big God who's a lot bigger and a lot better than the herd mentality. So Jesus, he's modeling that right then. He could have been having a moment in front of them, but he's not. He's just serving them. Um, and he's, you know, speaking to them, guiding words. After he's washed their feet in John 13, he's, he's, he's telling them. That, and here's what's going to happen. He's saying, um, you know, Peter, you're going to deny me, even before the rooster crows three times. Uh, and one of you, that is Judas, you're going to betray me. I mean, he's, he's just speaking calmly. Here's what's going to happen. He's reassuring them in John 14, in my Father's house are many rooms. And if it weren't so, would I have said that? And because it is so, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna get you and I'm gonna take you to be with me. And he answers their questions. You even have some questions that come along, like Thomas and Philip, they're like, can't we just go with you and show us the way to the Father and Jesus patiently, oh my gosh, how many times do we have to go through this? But I do love you and he answers their questions. And I was just thinking, you know, in a very real way, this season that we're in, where we can't come to church, or maybe other things, um, corporately or communally, we can still be servants after the example of Christ. How so? Well, if you've got a family, you can start there. You can start with your children, or maybe if you have parents, uh, or grandparents, and, you know, since they're saying they should really be careful not to go into public spaces and, 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 and so on. Or, or maybe you have a neighbor, uh, you know, who maybe is a widow or whose children live in a different city. Maybe when you're taking care of your groceries or picking up your pharmaceuticals, you just call or just run over and say, hey, just wanted you to know I'm going there. You don't need to go out. Would you like me to pick up the groceries for you or get your pharmaceuticals for you so that you can just kind of be here and just looking for ways that we can be Christ-like to other people, while the rest of the world is charging away like stampede and running off the cliff. We Christians have the opportunity to put our faith again in a Savior and say, No, wait. We don't have to. We don't have to go that way. And that's what Jesus was modeling. Um, Suzanne uh, read a book uh, recently. She was doing some study, just personal study, on the 23rd Psalm, and she said, I read this interesting book that was written by a shepherd, like a professional shepherd back in 1970. I didn't even think, but of course, there really are professional shepherds. So he writes about this psalm. She said, I'll tell you what the most interesting part, Ken, was. She said, you know how it says, he leads me beside still waters, because we're the sheep in the 23rd Psalm, right? We're the sheep, and the shepherd is, is the Lord, and the Lord is my shepherd. And, and he leads me fi- beside still waters, and he restoreth my soul. He restores my soul. She said, here's the interesting thing that the shepherd um, talks about in the book. He says there's this thing about sheep. They'll just eat, and they'll eat, and they'll eat, and they'll overeat. And then they 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 lose their balance and then they just fall over and then their 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 legs and their hands are up in the air and they're they're panicking because I guess they're not very coordinated they can't right themselves and and so and if they stay in that position long enough they can just die and so she said the shepherd writes about how the job of the shepherd is always to be looking over the sheep looking over the sheep looking over the sheep and when he sees one of the sheep it's like oh too much then it goes straight to that sheep and begins to hold that sheep, begins to rub the sheep's legs to, I guess, get the blood flowing again. And he's speaking calmly, reassuringly, and he's restoring their soul. And then gently he puts them back up. And I was just thinking, isn't that what Jesus was doing? The great shepherd He was doing that with his disciples, and he gives us the opportunity in these sorts of eras, in these crises, moments. We can do that as well. So that's a second observation uh, that I make. And then let's go further, a third one. Uh, Let's lean in further to this whole concept of of comforting, where we were going with the shepherd analogy. Um, you, You read how he says, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So let not your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid." He's speaking these words of comfort, of peace. But what's the delivery system? for this peace that he was leaving to them, that he has left with us. The delivery system comes from the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he says, who will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. We've got the Holy Spirit right here with us. God with us, God in us. Through His Holy Spirit living inside of us, let's draw on that um, reality and draw the strength that we need from, and the comfort that we need from that. So there's a uh, an author whose name was Brennan Manning, who wrote some some really good books about the Lord and grace and sorts of things. In in one of his uh, stories, he tells of, uh, he, he, he was a priest, uh, a Catholic priest, and he tells of how uh, a lady in his parish uh, called and said, could you go and visit my aging uh, and I think dying father? And so he went over to, to, uh, to visit. The father goes into the, I guess, hospital room and <clears throat> opens the door, sees the father on the bed with nurtured uh, or, or, or supported by some pillows and sees a chair, Positioned right by the bed. So Brennan Manning thinks, Well, I guess you got the chair ready for me. He says, Oh, I see you got a chair ready for me to come and sit in. He said, I don't know who you are. Who are you? And he says, Oh, well, I'm, I'm one of the pastors at, at your church. So he sits down and he says, I, I just saw this chair and thought maybe you knew that I was coming. He said, Well, actually, um, close the door. I'll tell you a little bit about that chair. So Brennan Manning closes the door. He says, for years and years, I always had the hardest time praying. Whenever the pastor would talk about prayer, it just went over my head. I just never could understand it. I just never could do it. I just never felt like I was connecting. And, And so I just finally gave up until finally four years ago, one of my friends said to me, Joe, here's all you need to do. Just set a chair in front of you and let the Lord through his Holy Spirit just sit right there and just talk to him and pour out your heart to him. And I bet that you'll discover that your prayer life starts to take off. He said to uh, Brennan Manning, he said, that has changed everything. So now I sit and I talk to the Lord sitting in that chair through his Holy Spirit. I talk to him for several hours every day, and it's helping me so, so much. Brennan Manning said, that's fantastic. I think you should just keep doing that. So Brennan Manning went and anointed him with oil and prayed over him, and and, and he left. Well, two days later, the daughter called and, and said, my father died. So Brennan said, well, did your father die peacefully? And she said, well, we think he died peacefully, but she said he died in an awkward position. He said, like what? She said, well, there was this chair pulled up next to his bed, and he had lain his head over into the chair, and that's the position that we found him in. Brennan Manning said, I knew exactly whose lap he put his head in. He was resting in Jesus, drawing the comfort through the Holy Spirit right there to the very end. Friends, you and I have the Holy Spirit available to us to draw on, to talk to, to draw this comfort that Jesus was promising right there in the Last Supper. He's telling the disciples, yeah, it's gonna be a little crazy, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be your advocate, and he is going to be with you. Brothers and sisters, we have that same Holy Spirit available to us. And so my, I guess, urging to you would be, you know, maybe after watching a cycle two at the most of news, why don't you turn it off and get a chair and start to talk to the lord do something that's meaningful that's substantive and that really could make a difference in the spiritual realm instead of just being transfixed by these cycles of news that just come over and over and over <clears throat> and speaking of the holy spirit he's not the only resource he also gives us his word the the bible and, and I was thinking, you know, during seasons of quarantine, not that we have them often, but why don't we look not at the negative, but let's look at the positive. I can't tell you how many people have said over the years, I would like to have some more time to read the Bible. I just never have any time. Guess what? God just gave you a lot of time. What if we just said in this season of Lent that we're in, we're kind of going through the book of Mark, some of you are, but but, All of you could. What if you just said, you know what, I'm just gonna read through the book of Mark. I can't go here, I can't go there. Maybe do it as a family and just say, we're gonna read this uh, together. I was reading from a different gospel with one of my sons yesterday and we were just sort of going through and, and, and working through what does this mean for us. What if we read through the Gospel of Mark? And if the quarantine goes really long, then we could back up and hit Matthew. We could hit Luke, we could hit John. You could read all four Gospels. And just imagine the sustenance that's coming into your soul that I guarantee you, CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, that's not gonna be sustaining your soul. After you watch a cycle, you've got the high points, and it doesn't change a whole lot except just the statistics. And so I encourage you, let's draw on the resources that he's given to us of his spirit and of the word Last thing, I notice as Jesus dealt with the reality that he was facing that night in the upper room, he was fully in touch with that reality. He knew it was coming, but he never lost sight of what was coming after that. He knew, on the third day, I'm going to rise. He'd been telling them that all along as well. In Matthew 27, 63, after three days, I'm going to rise. In Mark 14, 28, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. I mean, he was spelling out, here's what's going to happen. I know this doesn't make much sense to you. I'm sure that he was thinking, but it will because you're gonna remember it and you're gonna to start to connect the dots once some time has passed. That's why he kept telling them this stuff because he knew we gotta have hope. How do we find hope? By looking through the era that we're in to what is to come. We don't know how long this era will be But we know sooner or later, they're going to get it figured out. They're going to get a a, a vaccine and these sorts of things. But let's look even further to the future, brothers and sisters. Let's look to the future and remember what is our great hope. Our hope as believers is that there is a resurrection, that we don't have to be afraid uh, at the fear of death, that sooner or later is going to befall all of us. But it's for that reason that Christ came into this world, lived the life of perfection that we couldn't live, died the death of punishment that we deserved so that he could conquer the grave that none of us could conquer so that if we would just put our trust and our faith in him, we could have the assurance of life abundant now and everlasting on the other side. And so I would point you, I would point all of us to looking through this situation to a greater thing that lies before us. That's where the hope is found. And he's promised, I'm going to lead you there. So back in the day, if you were a sailor uh, navigating a ship, and trying to pilot that ship into a port, it could get really rough, it could get really rocky, and you'd get to a section where maybe you can even see the land, but you couldn't see under the water level, you couldn't see all of the, the, the curves and all of the shoals under the water line that you could hit, you could tear the boat apart, the boat could sink, people could be injured or even killed before you even got into port. And so it was a dangerous time to try and navigate into ports by one's self. So a captain had one of two choices. Apparently the captain could either say, I'm the captain of this ship, and by gosh, we're gonna get through, and he would just start going. Sometimes he'd get it right, and sometimes he'd crash the ship. Or the captain could take the, the pathway of humility could say, you know what, this looks a lot simpler than I think it really is going to be. This could actually be very treacherous, but I know that there's one who knows better how to navigate me through this. And with that heart of humility, he would fly a flag up the mast. It was a white flag. That just had a symbol on it that told everybody around, I need a pilot here. I don't trust myself to navigate through these waters. And these pilots were people who knew the waters very well in those localized areas. And they always lived right there, you know, on the land uh, nearby. And they'd see the flags go up, and they'd go out and get in their little rowboats, and they'd row out to the ship, and they would climb onto the ship, and they'd go uh, right on deck, and they'd take over and put their hands on the wheel. And the captain would step back and would put a different flag up the mast. It was a red and white flag. And that flag was a flag for everybody else to see. You don't have to be afraid of a crazy driver here. I've got a pilot on board, and he is guiding me through these waters. And so the Christians wrote a a hymn back in those days. Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous seas. O wondrous sovereign of the seas, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Friends, we're in some rough waters right now. It feels a little bit out of control. But let's remember, even in the midst of these rough waters, the signs are clear and our Savior's hands are sure. He has the wheel. He's steering. Our job is to fly the flag of surrender, to draw near to him as believers have for centuries. And as we do, to experience that hope that he gives to all of us, particularly in times like this. Let's pray together. Lord, now my prayer is that you would indeed, Savior, pilot us through these tempestuous seas. pray, God, that you'll protect us, certainly at the uh, most foundational level, uh, particularly our uh, those who are a little bit more senior adult in our flock, in our congregation. Won't you take care of them? Help us, we who know them by name or live near them, to be making sure that they're particularly cared for. And Lord, won't you um, write our focus and put our eyes and our hearts and our minds back on you in these unique days when it feels like we're on this roller coaster. Help us to remember we have a resource in you that cannot be improved upon. You're God, you're great, you're in charge. We love you. We give you the praise and the glory and we surrender our lives again to you. We pray all of these things in your strong name, Jesus. Amen.